The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. There are so many challenges involved in the college process, including choosing the right college, planning a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and much more. The team of experts from College Coach are here to help you find some, if not all, of the answers you need. Now, here is your host, Elizabeth Heaton. Another episode of Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. You know, I I listen to the radio show when I'm not hosting, and Elizabeth uh, has such a great radio voice. I hope that you all are not disappointed to be hearing me come in on the show and and that I can sort of match her quality. Um, I'm your host, Ian Fisher, this week. It's July 21st, 2016. I'm enjoying another beautiful day here in Portland, Oregon. I can even hear my neighbor's chickens clucking from just over the fence. I don't know what they say. <laughs> Keep Portland weird. Um, we've got a great show planned for you today. For those who have been following along on a weekly basis, you'll enjoy the continuation of our Schools Out application workshop series. Last week, we talked all about the college list and the financial implications of where you choose to apply. This week, we're talking about the activities list, and you won't want to miss our tips for making it as strong as it can be. I'll also be welcoming a member of our finance team to the show to talk about one of our least favorite four-letter words, debt. Whether you're a parent or a student, there's a lot to learn in the final segment of the show today. But before all that, I'd like to welcome a new friend and colleague to the show. Donna Connolly is the Director for Youth Access at Massachusetts Education and Career Opportunities, Incorporated, which is quite a mouthful, but you call it Mass Edco for short. Uh, That's why we call it Mass Edco, yes. Perfect. Welcome to the show, Donna. It's great to have you. Thank you very much, Ian. Good to be here. Now, I, you know, I was looking at your website. I, I read that Mass Edco serves over 14,000 individuals each year, which is a huge number within the state of Massachusetts, hmm? um, provide educational career advising. But for Correct. those who are sort of unfamiliar with Mass Edco, can you tell us just a little bit about your mission as an organization and, and the populations that you serve? Correct. I certainly will. So Mass Edco um, provides access to educational and career opportunities that for people with diverse backgrounds to achieve their potential. And so what we really are doing is kind of helping them um, figure out where they might want to go to school or get a training program, get a certificate, that kind of thing. Um, and we do work with, I work with the, the youth um, in many programs, but we also um, work with adults, too. And many of the programs that we have are federal programs coming from the U.S. Department of Education. So, and some of these programs actually started back in the 60s during the Civil Rights Movement, and that's where a lot of this, it was kind of the war on poverty and helping people figure out how they were going to do things. So a lot of low-income, first-generation college students. 
That's awesome. Terrific. And, and I saw that the, the youngest populations that you're working with are around 7th grade or so, middle school students? Correct. We, we do uh, some work, particularly with one of our programs called Gear Up um, in middle schools. Um, talent Search, Educational Talent Search, which is part of the, one of the federal TRIO programs, also um, starts, can start in the 7th grade also. So we do some work with them, but uh, mainly it's um, high school based for both of those programs. Wonderful, and that's—I mean—that's the big part of of our audience as well. We've obviously got you know students and parents who are listening into the show. And can you talk a little bit about some of the resources that you provide for students in high school, kind of as they're thinking about not only their college success but also their success within the high school context? What What are some of the things that that you're able to do for students? Sure. Well, in the younger grades in high school, it's. Uh, mainly workshop-based. We'll go into different classrooms, kind of getting them thinking about um, what they might want to do. Um, but it even starts before that with, um, you know, do they under, really understand what a transcript is going to look like, what a college yeah. is going be asking for, what's a GPA? A lot of those things. Some students are, might be familiar with some of those terms, but other students um, may not be. Um, I'm based in Worcester. Worcester is a very diverse immigrant um, city. A lot of immigrants come here. So many, many students and families have not been born here. And statewide, that's what we do, too. So we're in Lynn, Massachusetts, and Boston, Massachusetts, and New Bedford. So you can see that there's a lot of urban areas. And um, so folks that might not be familiar with this whole process, so with the students and their families, we're helping them understand some of that. And then as they move through, how they, what's the PSAT all about? Why is that important? Then the SATs or the ACTs. Yeah. So that yeah, they I mean, know what's going on. And then looking at colleges, doing that college search, helping them. How does, if you want to be an engineer, what are some classes that you should be taking in high school that then can translate? into what you need for college. Yeah, and you know, we work a lot with international students at College Coach as well, and, and many of them, even if they are born in the U.S., they have parents who are maybe educated abroad, and there's right. a huge amount of work that needs to be done just to define terms, just to kind of understand what, you know, different kinds of entrance examinations are, to understand right. the role of the transcript, to talk about something like an activities list, which doesn't often come up in international applications. Um, right. You know, one of the things that when I talk with parents that helps put them at ease a little bit is understanding that other people have the same kinds of concerns that they do. Um, what are some of the common concerns that you see or sort of the, the frequent sort of worries within students, you know, between ninth and 12th grade that maybe are misconceptions or just things that they, they frequently are worried about that you help to put them at ease when, when you come into the school and interact with them? Well, I think that, you know, uh, always wanting to tell them, I, I firmly believe that if they want to go to college, that they can, that there is a college for everyone, um, so that, you know, sometimes they hear some of those name colleges or whatever, and then thinking right. like, oh, well, what if I can't get in there, then forget it, my life is over. Well, no, that's not true. And, the, you know, I'm sure you guys know this, uh, better than me, the whole financial piece. 
people are overwhelmed when they see numbers and um, they feel like there is no way we're going to be able to do that. And that you mentioned that in your little intro about debt. Right. Well, many families are very scared about taking on more debt, as they should be. But then sometimes you have to explain how that works, what loans might be the better loans. You know, let's look at the federal government first before we're going to look at anything else. Um, So a lot of that stuff, so you see that, or they think that just because they did well in high school, uh, they're going to get high school paid, uh, college paid for. I I hear that a lot from some families and thinking, well, it doesn't necessarily work that way because not every school might offer some merit money. And it does depend on income levels, too. So you try to just educate them little by little with all of these different pieces. Yeah, you've touched on some just really terrific points there. One of my favorite slides that we present um, in our college admissions presentation at College Coach is this slide that that shows that basically 79% of the colleges and universities in the country admit more than half of the students who apply. And, you know... A lot of students are just so worried that they're not going to get in somewhere because all of the press is focused on these really, really selective institutions. But in fact, you're right. There is a college for everyone. It's just a matter of sort of understanding the opportunities that are out there. And, you know, within Massachusetts, there are certainly 70 colleges within the Boston metro area and just a huge number out in western Massachusetts as well. It's it's pretty incredible the, the number of options that students have out there. Right. Um, and I think Sometimes um, families think, oh, well, some of the, in Worcester we have a lot of colleges and they think, oh, well, I don't want them to go there. That's, that's not good enough. And I think it's almost, it's ridiculous because in Massachusetts we have the Harvards and the Wellesleys and all of right. that other stuff. It's like, well, not everybody's going there. And it may be the best thing to start at the community college. And right you know, get your skills built up, build up your grades, that kind of thing, and then go someplace else after that. It's good that you're having those conversations on a regular basis in the schools. You know, one of the things about College Coach, even our radio show here is we have to, we're sort of, it's dependent on who tunes in and listens and who we have an opportunity to talk to. And so it's great that there are organizations that are actually partnered up with schools. And how many high schools are are you connected with as an organization um, with Mass Edco just there in in Massachusetts? In Worcester, we are in, and you're going to forgive me here because we just got a federal grant renewed, so we're changing a few things. But in Worcester, we are will be in as of September first, six different high schools. Great in Worcester and two middle schools. That's terrific. That's terrific. Yeah, it and is great. So we actually have advisors. I my staff that are in the schools mainly full time, working in conjunction with the guidance um, departments in the school. So it's been a great collaboration with our Gear Up program. We've been in the Worcester schools since 1999. Um, with our educational talent search program, we're just completing our 25th year in Worcester schools. Wow. So well, there's a long, um, uh, uh, you know, th- there's a, a great relationship built with the Worcester Public Schools, mainly for us here. But again, as you mentioned, uh, we serve so many students and uh, adults statewide also. And, you know, in terms of getting started, getting a hook in with a particular high school, you know, we've got listeners all over the country who may not be in the Worcester area or even Massachusetts. And, you know, they might be thinking, this sounds like a great organization. 
how do I get something like this within my high school? Is that, you know, was the genesis of this that MassEdCo was started and then came to the high schools with a proposal? Was it something where the high school saw a need and tried to fill it? Or was it something where the community sort of saw that that need and, and brought together MassEdCo plus the high schools to provide this service? Well, I, I wasn't here 25 years ago when, for example, Educational Talent Search started, but it was a collaboration. At the time, we were the Colleges of Worcester Consortium, and so the college presidents, they were members, and they were looking at how to expand their reach. So it actually began with the adult um, program, federal program, which is the Educational Opportunity Center. That was the first one we got in the early 70s, and then it grew from there as they saw other opportunities. But these programs are federal programs like Gear Up, Educational Talent Search, Educational Opportunity Center. They are U.S. Department of Education programs. They are in all 50 states. So they are in many urban areas. They're also in many rural areas. So if somebody is looking for that, they can look under the U.S. Department of Education and see what federal access programs that might be available in their area. They, you know, they might not even know that it exists in their local high school. Right. And, I, you know, about three or four weeks ago, I had a conversation with um, the director of a program called Row New York, which is another is a, is a program that's a nonprofit, but they have a similar kind of presence. And if you don't sort of go out and look for CBOs or look for organizations like MassEdCo and what they're doing within schools, you might not know that something just down the road can be really helpful for you exactly. in terms of getting, getting to college and getting the answers and, and counseling that you need. Right. Um, I want to talk about counseling really briefly, I and mean, we sort of touched on this before we went live on the air, but I'm really interested in this conversation of how students sort of choose an academic major and how they connect that major to future careers. I think that's one of the biggest areas for concern mm-hmm. among parents because they ultimately want their students to be successful, and, and finding a job is sort of the, the okay. big outcome of college. Right. Um, I mean, there are other ones as well, but that's that's sort of the one that I think everybody's focused on, and rightly so. So, how do you sort of start this conversation with students of thinking about what they're going to study and what that means for their future career opportunities? I really like to do is be able to have them, and in the high schools, we're able to do this: sit down and and do a career interest inventory. You know, there's a lot of programs in many schools that have that kind of thing. Sit down and really see. What kinds of things are you interested in? What kinds of things are you good at? Because they might think, oh, I'm going to be a nurse. Or because their mom or dad are saying, you know what, there's a lot of jobs there. Why don't you do that? Well, when they go to take something, that doesn't even show up because, goodness, they don't like blood. They don't like things (laughs) like that. They're not thinking that way. But maybe they want to be in the medical field, just not that there's plenty of other things like a surgical technician or a radiologist or something they could do too. So love to have students, and with our ninth and 10th graders and in some of the middle schoolers, we do a lot of that in conjunction with the high schools. Let's get them taking those career interest inventories because I think things come up that they wouldn't even think about. And yeah. then do some exploring from there. Now, do you, do you have any sort of resources online that you use frequently that you point people to if if they're looking for this kind of a survey or an inventory or some sort of a personality or aptitude test that can help point them in the right direction? Are there resources online for, for this purpose? You know what's 
Well, you know, the Occupational Handbook, which is a federal kind of guide, has a lot of stuff that people can go to. And I think each state probably has their own thing through that where they can go online and do some testing. Many school districts have different programs that they either purchase or in Massachusetts we have things through MIFA that called Your Plan for the Future. People might be doing things like that. So there are things out there and they don't necessarily have to pay for them. But I, I believe and College Board has things like that too. So I think if they just ask at their high school, what do you guys use for college and career readiness? they'll be able to point them in the right direction. And a parent might not even know that their kid has already taken a particular inventory. They may or may not know that. So there right. are stuff, is stuff out there. Sorry. No, it's fine. I mean, I think that fundamentally underneath all of the advice you're giving is this concept of asking for help and looking for resources, whether they exist in your community, whether you already have them at your high school, but being willing to ask for the resources that are provided for you so that you can get the kind of answers that you want. And you mentioned the Occupational Outlook Handbook, which I would just put in a little plug for. That's at bls.gov, Bureau of Labor Statistics. That is one of the best resources that I know of to to look Mm -hmm. at different types of careers, what the outlook is for those careers, what median starting salary looks like, how to get that career with particular educational achievements. So it's it's pretty awesome. Um, And it's a resource that I use regularly. No, but there's a lot out there, and I think maybe some parents wouldn't, they're not sure, but they can right. ask at their schools, too, and I bet they'll get some good answers from them. Is there any sort of important advice or one big takeaway that you would want parents and students to internalize as they start thinking through this process? Let's, let's sort of focus especially on rising seniors now. Um, what's something that you would say is, is really important for them to keep in mind as they go through this application and college search process? I I really, when they're doing some of this, I'd like them to have that um, a good list that not only is an academic list that say, okay, here, this could be a REIT school or this hopefully might work for me. So you kind of look at, and I have a so-so chance of getting in, but when they're doing that, I want them to put both public and private institutions on that list because it's all about how that financial aid is going to play out, too. And sometimes I think families don't necessarily do it that way. Yeah. Um, so I really like to see a nice mix of the public universities and the private uh, colleges or universities. That's great. I think you're really reinforcing something that we talked about on on last week's show, um, which is great to hear it coming from another source outside of College Coach. Um, there's great advice to be had in this segment. I want to thank you very much for joining us for today's show, John, Donna. Thank you. I was glad to be here. Now, it's great to hear all about organizations like yours, the work you're doing, uh, the students you're supporting. So really appreciate your time here and, and your work with students in your community. Thank you very much, Ian. Great. So after the break, we're going to open up our office hours. So don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. 
Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says, yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the show. It was really great uh, at the end of last segment to hear Donna give some advice around the college list and balance with the college list. And in fact, in our Schools Out application workshop series just last week, we talked all about the college list and everything that you need to know with respect to making a balance list and thinking about financial considerations. So if you like the advice that Donna was giving there, go on back in the archives and take a listen to last week's show because there's some really great advice. Um, all right. For those of you who are actively engaging with College Coach on social media, thank you. Um, it's great to receive your comments and your messages, and it proves really useful as we build our content for you each week, especially on this application workshop series. Um, as we open up our office hours today, I want to encourage you to make your way to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash college coach. Or if you're a tweeter, you can follow me at Ian Fisher CC. On both Facebook Facebook and Twitter, I've shared a document that we're going to be use, using uh, in conversation today and that you can use for your homework um, after this week. So office hours are now in session, uh, and I'd like to welcome my colleague, Julia Jones, formerly of the Brandeis Admissions Office, back to the show. Hey, Julia. Hey, Ian. Thanks for having me again. I am so happy to have you on the show and, <laughs> and to talk about the activities list, which I think, I don't know if you feel this way, but for me... I feel like this is something that students often punt on, that they don't give it a lot of yep. really serious thought, but it, it is kind of important in the process. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I, I always feel like, yeah, there so, we're so focused on the essay, and, and rightly so, because that's a, a huge part of the process. But, yeah, sometimes it's kind of treated as an afterthought, and it it's, you know, can be just as important to really to, to be thoughtful about how you're listing your activities and how, what you're saying about them and how you're you know, telling what they say about you in the, in the application. Yeah, for me, it's almost like, I would say this is the second most important part of the application because, you know, if you look at the app, the opportunities to really be creative with it are few. You've got your essay, of course, but then (laughs) on top of that, you like, you can't give your 
parents creative job titles and give yourself, you know, creative <laughs> name. Like that's all, that's all, you know, you're just answering questions. And so the activities right. list, I think is something that your creativity and what you've done can be really, really useful uh, in differentiating you. So can you, I, I, want you, I wonder if you could just share a little bit about how you used the activities list when you were reading applications. So the, the role that it played in the decision process and sort of as it came across your desk, what sure, was it that sure. you were thinking about the activities list? Well, I think, I, and I agree with you. I mean, I think it is, you know, next to the essay, it's one of the, the only opportunities that students have to really to be creative, to talk in their, in, in their voice and, and to, you know, really share what, they, uh, what they've been involved in. And that's really, you know, from the admissions standpoint, what I always looked for when I read admissions was, you know, okay, so, you know, of the, the you know, multitude of, of things that, that a student can be involved in. And we're not looking for you know, a, a, a huge long laundry list of, of activities, you know, if in most, in most formats, especially the common, if you only have maybe 10 lines to put your activities, the goal is, you know, where, what's your passion? What is the student really, how has the student chosen to spend his or her time? And, and what's been the, you know, the level of accomplishment, the depth in that. So, um, and also, you know, and I think this is also something that students, don't, don't necessarily pay attention to or lose sight of, you know, what, what, what's important to them and what's most important to them. Um, you know, so sometimes even by just the order that they list their activities, that can tell me, okay, so, you know, the student um, maybe played a sport and, and uh, maybe did some community service, but writing for the newspaper was, you know, was right up top. And so that's, you know, clearly what's really near and dear to their, um, you know, in, in most cases, in, in the most way, the, the biggest way to them. So, yeah, so I think that that really from an admission standpoint was about where, how do you spend your time on the simplest yeah. and, and the simplest of levels? It's, yeah, it's, it's trying to be sort of a window into four years of free time, basically. And, and you know, yeah. for you, it feels like scheduled time because you had to go to meetings and you had to go to practices and you had to show up for rehearsal or whatever it may be. But, but right. we didn't know that. You know, admissions officers are going to have no idea about what you right. did unless you yep. share it with us. Um, exactly. And that's where this activity sheet comes into comes into play. Now, some students I talk to when they start working with me, they hand me a resume and they say, "This is what I've been involved in." But you know, yeah. you and I were talking beforehand over email about the, you know, sort of the differences between the resume and the activities list. And you know, is there even a role for a resume in college applications? Right, it's true. Sometimes there's not. Um, I, I think that it's you know some students think that oh my god I have to have a resume, um, and sometimes they'll do it. And I think it can sometimes be a good exercise sure. to put everything down in one place. And yeah, to, you know, so for for some students, you know, that's an easy way to kind of start the process even before junior year. So you have a record of of you know all that you've done outside of the classroom. But for a formal resume as part of the application process. I think it, that's kind of gone by the wayside. It's really not necessary because in, in many cases, colleges don't want another piece of paper or another document in the, you know, um, in their file that they have to read and sort through when it's already asked in, in the way that colleges want it on the application itself. So, um, and I think also for some students, when they are doing a resume, they're thinking of it in terms of, uh, you know, a work resume where, um, you know, it may have their their accomplishments that may even have, you know, extraneous information like their high school data, stuff that we don't really need, where, um, and it doesn't list some of the most important and valuable information, which, you know, from my perspective um, is really not just what you do, but 
you know, how many years you've done it, how many hours per week you spent on this activity, how many weeks per year. That's really crucial information to really get not just the, you know, what, what you've done, but the, really the depth of the experience. And so, um, it, and that's not always something that students think about when they're putting together kind of just a traditional resume. That's yeah. So th- so this is a good sort of segue into w- the template that we've shared. And you know, if you're driving and listening to the podcast live, then please don't pull out your phone <laughs> and try and look at this. I'll tell you a little bit about what's included in this template. And you know, the template that we've shared with you is essentially uh, meant to mimic what's required on the common application. So you have the name of the organization or club that you were a participant in and the position that you held. You get 50 characters for that. Um, you have the number of grades that you've participated in an activity. So 9th, 10th, 11th, and or 12th grade. Um, whether it was a school activity, a summer activity, or a year-round activity. The number of hours per week, as Julia mentioned. The number of weeks per year, as Julia also mentioned. And whether you intend to participate in it in college. So that's all the very straightforward content. But then we move into details, honors one, accomplishments within each activity, and you get about 150 characters, which is a little more than the length of a tweet to describe <laughs> your four years of engagement with a particular club or activity. And right. I think this is really hard for some students. And you know, Julia, I want to talk to you about two different kinds of students. The first one I want to talk to you about is just a student that sits down and says, I don't have anything to put in here. And they're just sort of like, what are my activities? And yeah. they're thinking maybe very strictly about what ought to fit here. So how do you help a student think about what they can put in an activity sheet if they don't have the student can- council, track team, band kind right. of thing? How do you help them get started? Sure. Well, I think, first of all, it's understanding what, what the extracurricular activity really means. You know, because I do think some students think, well, I, you know, I, I really haven't joined anything in school. And that's the, the, those last two words are the ones that I think sometimes throw kids off is that it's in, in school. school. It doesn't have to be in school. Um, you know, I've worked with some students, many students who are incredibly involved in, you know, in lots of things, but, you know, they may, their involvement may be outside of the school um, parameters. You know, they may be, you know, a talented musician, but, you know, all of their work is with kind of community orchestras or, um, you know, performing outside of, of school, or they may play a sport that isn't offered at their school. So that, you know, a student who may be involved in, you know, an equestrian or something that, that they really have to go off campus for. So, um, so really helping them to understand that it's not just about, you know, being on the school, on the track team, or, you know, doing community service as part of the key club in school. It can be, you know, it can, it can be whatever you do, however, whatever you do, spend, how you spend your time outside of just going to class and doing your homework. So, right. and, and probably playing video games, because that's all. Please don't <laughs> but, play video games. You have 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year. That's not serving year-round activity, you know, playing. <laughs> exactly. You don't want to do right. that. Or, you know, yeah, or surfing the lab or whatever. Yeah, so I yeah, think that, that but, but it's true. But I think for most students, if they do a little bit of thinking, even for those students that think, I really have nothing to put here, you know, again, they've probably done some community service, because in many cases, they have to for school. Um, or, you know, they've maybe, you know, I always ask them, have you had a job? And even if you mm-hmm. don't feel like you've had a, a job where you've gone to work, you know, some students, I've had some students who've, you know, done babysitting since they were, you know, in eighth or eighth grade or ninth grade. And I'm like, well, that's a job. And that, that's work experience. Right. And that goes, that goes there. That counts. So it's a commitment, um, right? Yeah, I mean, this is something that, you know, Karen Crowley was on the show last week, and I know you listen to the show, Julian. Karen was sort of talking about what are your commitments? You know, where do you spend your time? And the way that I phrase this with students is anything that is 
organized in some way that is not, strictly speaking, a part of your academic coursework in school has right. potential to be included here. Um, exactly. You know, if, you, if you have to come home every day at 3 o'clock because you need to watch your younger siblings for four hours mm-hmm. before your parents get home from work, that's yep. something that you could include here, right? That's 20 hours a week of responsibility that you have, even if that's to your family. That's something I want to yep. know about as a college admissions officer. And so there's got to be exactly. some flexibility in how you think about what these activities are and right. whether they, they should be included here. Um, yeah. yeah. What's your take on like an, an independent study? You know, like a, a student maybe putting together a reading list uh, for a, a particular topic, or reading a, a specific author maybe over a summer. Is that something that could go in here that has usefulness here? Um, I, or, or what would I you do with so. that? Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think, and that's where the description will come into play, too. So it's not just, you know, kind of, I mean, reading is, is something that I, you know, I think it's wonderful that, that the more students can do that, the better. But, yeah, I think if it's something that's more focused or if it's, a, you know, wanting to do research on your own, um, you know, for a, uh, over, a, over on a particular topic, um, I think yeah. that could be, you know, a great way to do that. Again, it, it may not, um, it, but I think that's where the description, even though you only have 150 characters, you know, is, is going to be tantamount to really describing, again, the depth of what you're doing and, and trying to be as honest as you can about how much time you're spending as well. But, right. um, yeah, yeah. So I think you can be you know, creative in, in, in terms of really thinking about, okay, how do, um, you know, what really, how am I spending my time here? So, um, because I do think that some students, you just, they don't always realize, you know, that a lot of what they're doing is, is a, you know, real value of what colleges want to know about them and how they spend their time. Yeah. Interesting stuff that, that helps give a yeah. sense of who they'll be as a community member. Um, exactly. now that, you know, I mentioned two students. So the second type of student is one who's done a lot and, and, yeah has all this stuff and they've got to sort of cram it into this space for just 10 activities. And, and there are students out there who've done quite a few things, um, you know, some for just a year, some for two, some for four, um, and they're going to feel limited here. So how do you help students to go about choosing what they should share or kind of narrowing that list down to the 10 activities that they're, they're allowed? And, you know, one aside that I would put here is that we're talking about the Common App, but um, the UC application, which is also something that um, is used by thousands and thousands of students, they also limit um, the number of activities that you're able to include in the character account. So it's not quite the same as the Common App, but this exercise would be useful even for the UC app uh, and for the coalition application as well. But, you know, what would you do for, for students who have a ton of activities and need to narrow it down? Right. Well, I think, yeah, and there's always going to be cases where, you know, you're, you as try as you might, you know, you, you may not be able to fit things in that. And, there are, and that may be a, an argument for why it might be useful to have you know, an addendum or a resume. And there is a place even on the Common App where you can add some additional um, information if it doesn't all fit. But I really urge students to take a look at their activities and see how we can, you know, really prioritize. And, and I think that's something that all, you know, I mentioned earlier, um, you know, often students lose sight of when they're filling this section out. Um, the Common App, I think, asks the question, you know, or, or states, you know, we want this in order of importance to you. So, yes. you know, if you have to kind of, you know, part of a good exercise to do would be to, to put down all of your activities, so just, you know, dump it all in that document or on, on um, you know, in a document, and then, and then, you know, rank them. You know, what's your most important? Rank the top five or, or the top ten. Um, and so that, that way you can kind of see, all right, what, 
what are the ones that are, that are the most important? Really looking for the ones, I think, where you have spent the most amount of time, where, you know, you may have some, uh, you know, a higher level of accomplishment, some leadership, if, possible, you know, if, if applicable. So, you know, looking for those things that are, are you know, obviously going to be more important to you given, you know, I would assume that if you spent more time on, on one activity yeah, or another, you'd like there's, more. you know, the reason for that. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> right, no, but, yeah, but, in but general, you know, that only goes so far. You know, you only, you know, parental pressure is, is only going to take you so far. If you really spent a hundred hours on something, chances are it's something that you really enjoy. Hopefully, so. Um, yeah. And, yeah. You know, I think yeah. that there's a good piece of advice here around also grouping activities or like activities yeah. together, right? So if I'm if I'm a kid that's only done three things, and two of those three things are varsity basketball and club basketball, I might keep those things separate because they are independent activities. If I've got 15 things and I need to make space yeah. for, for a more space, then I would put club and varsity basketball as one entry and just call it basketball. And then in the description, indicate that I play both varsity and, and club level basketball. So, you know, thinking yeah. about how you would group those things together smartly, I think is, is really useful. Um, yeah. So, Julia, I, I want to give an assignment to kids and I want to get your advice on how to go about doing this. So, the assignment is to take the template that we've shared, and, and you can also find it at tinyurl.com forward slash gv8juhq. Um, that's going to take you right to the, uh, the template, and you can go ahead and click on that and, and, and copy and paste it to fill it out. Um, I want students mm -hmm. to go out and fill out all their activities in the way that we've described it, um, leaving nothing out. Um, so if you need yeah. to add 15, 16 activities, go ahead, put it all down there. But what I want to hear from you, Julia, is sort of your advice for language that students might use as they're describing their engagement in these activities. How, would the, how should they describe their involvement? Right. Well, I, and I think it's, it's in some cases will depend on, on the activity to some extent. Sure. Um, yeah. One thing I will mention is that obviously, you know, if you're writing for the newspaper or even if you're, you know, if you're playing basketball, we kind of know what goes into that. It's not like you have to, you know, mm -hmm. really describe the activity. So what you want to do there is, you know, what are the things that you've accomplished? If you're a team, you know, for a team sport, you may be a team player, you know, has, has your team reached any kind of championship or high, high level. It may, doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have had that, you know, you may not be, you know, MVP, but again, if your team kind of went on to, you know, to state their regionals, um, you can mention that there too. Um, if it's an, an activity that, you know, sometimes a lot of students will use acronyms for, uh, for different activities and they assume that we know as it is all yeah. of them. Yeah. We, some of them we do, but. Some of them we know. We know NHS, right? right? Right, that. we know, and, and you know, and again, BBYO or some, you know, I, I know oh, that from my Brandeis days. <laughs> but right. again, I think sometimes it's it's useful to, um, you know, for one that's just a high more of a high school and not a national organization, definitely spell it out and and describe it. So in some cases, some activities, um, it, it's not obvious by either the the nature of the activity or the or the name, then it may be worth a quick description of you know, is it community service or you know, what do you do for it, um, and even for something like a service activity, I think there's a way to, you know, to really describe in brief, obviously, because you only have 150 characters, but, you know, some of the highlights of, you know, some of the things that you've, you've done, you know, what was your primary responsibility. Um, right. It doesn't, I think, you know, in this case, I'm, I, I don't think it needs to be kind of prose. <laughs> I think you can use it kind of like a resume where it, you know, it doesn't have to be complete sentences, meaning, you know, it, it can be um, think of it as almost like a bullet point so that you're, you know, again, it, you, you want it to, to get the point across as, as succinctly as you can. 
um, and as clearly as you can. So right. I think that and that's, yeah. I, I recommend students can use semicolons to separate different ideas like bullets because um, yep. you aren't mm-hmm. going to have access to bullets within the actual Common App. Um, and if you right. need to, on this first pass-through, if you need to go over 150 characters, I think that's okay, but then you can sort of pull it back on your on your first revision and, and try and get underneath that character limit. So, right. so take right. a look at that template, um, grab it for yourself, and start to list those activities. And, you know, look, if you're a younger student um, and you're a ninth or 10th or 11th grader, uh, you know, rising, then you can also start this thing. And this can be a way for you to track your activities now and save yourself some work as a senior. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, I, I always recommend that for underclassmen to, you know, do something like this because then you won't have to go back. And when you're a junior or senior and remember, what did I do in ninth grade? What was that exactly. award I got? Yeah. Exactly. It's a good way to, to keep track. So, Julia, thank you for all your time and energy here. And, of of course, for your expertise, it's uh, really a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So when we come back, we'll be talking financial aid and debt. But don't let that scare you off. There's good content to be had. Stick around. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com If you're a parent of a high school student, you've probably heard a lot of scary stories about college admissions, about the growing number of applicants, the shrinking number of spots, about how even valedictorians are being turned away. For families of hopeful college students, it's impossible not to worry. But at College Coach, we take the worry out. Our advisors are former senior admissions and college finance officers from all over the country, so they can give you advice that nobody else can about what classes to take, how to prepare for standardized tests, what options are available to pay for college, and most importantly, what admissions officers are looking for when they read an application. We've got more than 15 years of experience and a track record that's helped every single student get into college, most into their top choice schools. So make the decision to come work with College Coach and start your child down the road to the decision that really matters, the one in the envelope that says yes. Visit www.getintocollege.com forward slash getting dash in. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on voiceamerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. are listening to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. To reach Elizabeth Heaton or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome back. Before we get to our next guest, I want to let all the listeners know that our next show uh, will continue the Schools Out Application Workshop series with my colleague, Sally Ganga. She's a really terrific counselor. I'm excited to hear what she has in store for you all, and uh, I hope she goes easy on the homework. Of course, if you've missed any previous segments, you can dive back into our archives to catch yourself up and learn additional tips and tricks along the way. So make liberal use of that archive. My next guest, Kathy Ruby, is a former financial aid officer from St. Olaf College and a frequent guest of the show. She's also come into some recent fame as an expert quoted in an article by Consumer Reports. Kathy, <laughs> delighted that you can step away from the limelight to grace us with your presence today. Happy to be here, Ian. Yeah, you know, I can't let you come on the show without giving you a hard time about something. So, um, as I understand it, we're talking about debt today. We're talking about debt, both as it relates to students and parents, but mostly parents. And and let's start there. Um, The first question is, does does debt count in the financial aid formula? So, you know, if I'm applying for financial aid for my students, does the amount of debt that I have of any kind get figured in when they calculate my ability to pay? Okay. Um, well, so the answer to that is pretty straightforward. The answer is no. Um, the debt that you have does not get counted in the formula that figures out, you know, how much you're able to pay and therefore how much financial need you have. Um, when so, so the number we're talking about is the expected family contribution, um, and that number is subtracted from the cost of a college to figure out whether a family has financial need. So you want your contribution to be as low as possible, your ESC to be as low as possible, and you would think that having a bunch of debt would help make it be low because you can't, you have less that you're able to contribute. But the reason it it doesn't count is because the way the formula works is they ask you to report all of your income, um, and then they, within the formula, it subtracts all the taxes that you have to pay, you know, state taxes, federal taxes, uh, social security taxes. And they end up with net income that's available. And then from that, they subtract sort of a standard living allowance for a family of four or a family of five, whatever your family size is. Um, And then from that number, they call that discretionary, net discretionary income, and they expect a percentage of that to be contributed toward college. So the reason they don't include debt um, and they don't customize it for each family is because the basic premise of the formula is that they're trying to be fair. And when it comes to debt, that that's kind of, that can sometimes be a discretionary item on a family's budget. So it's, they, they can't, they don't want to get into the complicated side of decide, you know, making judgments about what, how people have spent their money. So they just make one assumption about how a family should spend its money. Yeah. And I can, I mean, I can see how that could run into some trouble as a college, right? Like if I go out and buy an expensive luxury automobile in order to right. save myself on the cost of college, um, then it's almost like the college is sort of subsidizing my, my purchase in some ways. Exactly. So I, it's something they right. want to stay away from that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Now, it, it seems like there might be occasions where they might make exceptions, though. I mean, what if my debt is because I'm paying off you know, medical expenses because of a procedure I had, or or maybe there's a period where my wife was unemployed, and so we're we're in debt because of the lack of income. Does does any of that count or help towards this? I mean, it's not me buying a new Lexus; it's me, you know, dealing with a medical cost. Yeah, and so and right. So when it's when it's a circumstance where um, where it was out of your control and it's extenuating. 
um, and, you know, unusually high, then there are cases where the colleges themselves will take that into account. And so the way this works is that when you're filling out the financial aid forms, there's no, there's no place to elaborate. You know, you have to report, you have to answer the questions as they're asked, and they really just ask about the numbers. Um, but then what you can do is you can write a letter to the financial aid office explaining your debt and explaining why it exists. Um, and quantifying it for them, letting them know what your required payments are, um, and documenting why it is that it exists. Um, now, the tricky thing is if you're in the beginning of this process and your student's looking at, you know, eight different schools, you're going to have to write to eight different financial aid offices. Um, and then what happens is the financial aid office staff will review that information, and they use something called professional judgment. It's actually a, a term within the federal financial aid regulations. Oh, it's an actual allowed- term. I thought it was just like being being professional. I was wondering when I was going to get professional judgment. But <laughs> well, you hope to being professional. It's yes. an official term. That's amazing. Okay, go ahead. Professional you judgment. You learn something new every day. Andy. Yeah, it's so incredible. It's called professional judgment, and it is by definition subjective. So different financial aid officers may make different decisions about what to do with that information. Um, and this is one of those places where a private college that's administering its own money um, has has a little more leeway in what they do. Um, so if you can make a good case at a private college, they may be able to make um, some adjustments. Um, but a college that only administers federal financial aid, um, you know, if they're, they, they may have to be a little more careful about it um, because so it's federal financial aid. So like who you're accountable but, to, at any rate, the, the trustees versus federal government, basically, yeah. right, where the, where the funding comes from. Okay. Right. But at any rate, the colleges will each take a look at it and decide whether they can consider it. Gotcha. So it, it's you know, all this is, all kinds of debt are bad news, but there are certain kinds of debt where you may be able to get a financial aid office to exercise their professional judgment and maybe help you out of uh, a difficult circumstance and give you a little bit yeah. more fun. Gotcha. Um, now, what about getting financing? So if I've got a lot of debt, um, personal debt, um, you know, does that affect my ability to help? get loans uh, for my child? Am I able to borrow student loans on their behalf or, or to take out a parent plus? Like, what can I, what can I do? Well, so you're, you actually still have some options. So the answer to that question is really no and yes. <laughs> yes and <Okay>. no. <laughs> um, so, so having a lot of debt um, might make it difficult for you to co-sign a loan for your student um, because co-signed loans are from private lenders and mm-hmm. Those private lenders are going to look at your credit, they're going to look at your FICO score and your debt-to-income ratio before they'll decide whether or not you can co-sign a loan. So having a lot of debt might make that not possible for you. Um, But borrowing a federal parent loan, um, which is available from the government, and this is a loan that would be in your name as the parent and you're borrowing on behalf of the student, um, that loan, they pull your credit but they're just checking to make sure you don't have any adverse credit, which means no bankruptcies or judgments or serious delinquencies. So if you have a lot of debt, but you've been making your payments on time, um, then you can still get approved for a plus loan because they're not, they don't care how much debt you have. They just want to make sure you don't have any adverse credit. Interesting. So there are some options that are available in any circumstance. Yeah. I mean, there are options. But, you know, should I borrow? I mean, you know, I've, I've got to pay for education. We've talked about the cost of education on this radio program and, and you know, in personal conversations constantly. It's, it's a lot of cost. You know, 
if I have a lot of debt, should I just say, look, I can't help you out. You, you, this is something that you need to figure out on your own as a student. Um, what sort of is a professional judgment I should exercise as a parent in making this kind of decision? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. And, you know, just because you can borrow from the plus loan doesn't mean you should borrow from the plus loan. And yeah. so that's, that's really a question that only you as a person, you know, can answer by looking at what it is you're being expected to borrow and figuring out whether or not it's going to be affordable for you, calculating what the repayment would be and figuring out whether it's affordable for you and your student if you're planning to have your student help you. But it is important to know that if you decide that, nope, I can't afford to do this, so, you know, I'm sorry, but you're on your own, you're going to have to borrow yourself, um, it's important to know there's some limitations there. Yeah. So a, a, a dependent undergraduate student, so sort of the traditional 18-year-old undergraduate student, um, are, they are allowed to borrow essentially $27,000 over the course of four years from the federal student loan program. So That's the federal direct student loan. Um, and that is in their name alone. There's no co-signing. It's completely uh, borrowed by the student. But that's all the government lets them borrow. I mean, if mm. they take an extra year, they get another four or five or four thousand um, dollars. And then beyond that, if they have to borrow anything else, they'll have to turn to the private market or to state loans, all of which require cosigners. Mm. And so, if you if you can't cosign, or you've decided you can't, or you're not able to because you can't get approved. It means you'll either have to get another co-signer for your child, whether it's a grandparent or someone else, or um, the, you'll have to just be very careful with your student's college list and explain to them that they'll only be able to attend schools where they can cover what they need through the federal loan program. And that's the $27,000? Yeah. Now, there's one exception to that. If you have debt and you have bad credit, as in a bankruptcy or judgment, and you get denied for a plus loan, um, then a dependent student actually becomes eligible for an additional 4000 a year in their first two years of college and an additional 5000 per year in their last two years of college. So they can get a bit more, but only if you're denied a plus loan. So you have to have bad credit for that to happen. So um, by and my... many times... What, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so that's, it sounds like that's about 45000 total, so 27 plus yeah. 8 plus Yeah, 10. Okay. about 45000 yeah. total. And sometimes that's not enough to cover it all. Right. Yeah, and this, so, I mean, that's where your sort of conversation about the list really does come into play, right? Because you, you, you know, 40, 45000 is the max that a student can borrow, then it may be that, you know, the public's going to be their option. Um, right. Or, or the, you know, I mean, if you're not qualifying for need aid, I guess you want to look at safety schools that are offering recruitment scholarships as right. well. Exactly. Or maybe starting off for the first two years at a community college. Um, right. And, 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 you know, between the lines here, what we're really saying is as your kids are getting ready to go to college, you should be trying to, you know, pay off as much of your debt as you can. Because the best scenario is if you don't have much debt when your kids get to college, um, and hopefully you can afford to pay some out of pocket rather than financing at all. Right. Then you don't have an interest rate, and then that's just sort of right. goes straight to the school, and, and you get credit for that, that payment. Yeah, um, exactly. And both colleges allow you to pay monthly, so... Um, yeah. Interesting. Interesting stuff. I mean, there's always, there's a lot of really good stuff there. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the topic of debt is not one that I usually want to sort of curl up and, and talk about next to the fire. But uh, this is this is really interesting. Thank, thanks for coming on the show and, and talking us through some of these considerations that parents might have. Great. Happy to be here. Wonderful. So, um, folks, that's, that's all for today's show. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening as much as, I, as I've enjoyed hosting. Um, it's always a pleasure to share the conversation with you. As a reminder, the homework from our Schools Out segment today was for you to get started on your Common App activities list. You can find a template on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash college coach. Give us a like while you're there. Or by following me at Twitter uh, at Ian Fisher CC. And if you're old-fashioned, the tiny URL is tinyurl.com forward slash GV8JUHQ. Next week, in addition to our office hours and schools out segments, we'll be taking talking travel for college visits. And Kathy Ruby will be back to the scholarship, talk scholarships and loans. Look at that. Kathy, I don't know why you don't just live here on the show. <laughs> it would be great. You just, just post up. Well. Yeah, we need, we need you every week. Um, from all of us at College Coach, from me, my apparent guest host, Kathy Ruby, uh, have a great week. <laughs> we'll see you on the 28th, a week from today. Same College Coach time, same College Coach channel. Enjoy the day. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. Please join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.